Welcome, everybody. We're a, or a group of people meeting all over the place, so you need to know there's multiple locations, even people online all over the world, and we're all going to talk about what we're meant to do. Now, I thought this was fitting at this time of the year where some people are graduating and some people were supposed to graduate, and now we're wondering what they're meant to do, and, and, and some people are in this season of life where, where the wedding schedule will really amp up, and, and you'll start to go to those, and, and we start to look at What's our summer going to mean and, and what's life going to look like? And, and some of us are wondering, we just finished up the school year and you're like, well, that didn't really go the way I wanted it to. And, and some of us are just in the real world called normal work. You're like, nothing changes. You just keep going. And, and so sometimes we come home or we go to the night and we wonder, like, what just happened that day? Did it really mean anything? Like, is this what life is where you... You get done with the day and you're like, nah, that wasn't really what I hoped or dreamt about. And, and you maybe see some things online or on TV and the movies and you're like, I wish my life were like that. And frankly, a lot of us are wondering what we're meant to do. Now, of course, there's the stage of life and you're younger and you're going through school and graduating school and, and you're really you're tuned into that. What are you meant to do with your life? But I'm going to tell you that the question should be asked by all ages. In fact, I know this because of the questions I'm getting, and even over the past couple months, some of the topics and things that we've talked about from stage, the idea of what we're supposed to do with our lives, it's pretty hot. There's a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's written by a pastor named Rick Warren. The Purpose Driven Life, though, got released several years ago now, and the world grabbed it up and ate it up like it had never eaten before. So, so if you don't know this, let me give you some statistics. The, the Purpose Driven Life, 32 million copies of this book have been sold. Now you're like, 32 million? That, that's, that seems a lot. Yeah, it's a lot just if you don't know the book world. Uh, let, me, let me help you. It's the second most translated book in the world. You might think, well, what's the first one? The Bible. So if you're in second place to the Bible, well done. Good job. I mean, you've, you wrote a pretty good book. Rick Warren, the writer, the, the pastor I told you about, in one interview I, I watched, he said that there was a season in which the purpose-driven life, and if you don't know the theme of the book, it's about the purpose of life, there was a season in which every month, I want you to hear that, every month, a million copies of that book were sold. And I would tell you that it's a book that is going to continue to go. In fact, now it still sells a ton. Rick Warren had the issue, which maybe some of us would love to have, is what to do with all the money that just came in. No joke. It's funny to listen to that. But I think you and I wonder what our purpose is. We, we wonder, like, what's it supposed to look like? What am I supposed to do? What's my role in life? And purpose, I'm going to tell you, is always going to be a hot topic. And so this series is set up in a season of transition for some. But as we go into a summer season where a lot of us think the summer exists for us and us only, I want us to have a good conversation about purpose. Now to do so, 
to talk about purpose, I got to kind of poke and prod at what you and I believe. Because what you and I believe affects all of the stuff about purpose and what we're meant to do. So I want to give you a little bit of an understanding of when I say purpose and we talk about what we're meant to do, what that means. I want to give us a working definition. Here's purpose. Purpose is the reason we exist. Now, this is why some of us are like, yes, I need to know this. Like, I really, really want to know this. And the sad part of this, I'll tell you the sad part. In our own state, there are suicide epidemics going on. Across our nation, across the world, people are wondering if they even have a reason to why they exist. I'm going to tell you this. If you will dive at this, this will be one of the most profound times you can ever have in your life. The reason we exist, why you and I actually wake up, why we do what we do during the day, the reason we exist is so important. But I got I to gotta poke at what you believe to help us get to this. And so there's a philosopher, really smart guy. Who, who broke down what we believe into three quadrants. The first quadrant, public beliefs. Public beliefs, as a synopsis, is what other people want you to believe. And you're like, well, that's kind of weird. It's, it's, it's the people-pleasing beliefs. It's when someone, let's say a guy went up to you and said, hey, how do these skinny jeans look? And your response might be, well, I think they want me to tell them that they're great. So your response was, even though you don't believe it, nor should you ever believe it, is to say back, those look great. Or that man bun, keep at it, keep doing that. Now, now, see, it's, it's, what that, it's what that other person wants you to believe, so you offer it to them as a public belief. For those of you who are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's when you, when you say, hey, does this look really good on me? And you go, yes, it does. And you might be half honest. It's, it's, a, it's a quandary. It's the socially acceptable lie. I'm not going to go too far with that. But, but public beliefs is when you're, you say, yeah, I believe that. But you don't actually believe that. You think other people want you to believe it. It's called PC, politically correct statements, that you haven't walked in, you haven't owned it, but you think that in a social setting, or better, in a public setting, it needs to be said. That's the first quadrant of belief. And many of you are like, that sounds like lying and manipulation. Uh-huh. That's what that is. Let's go to the next quadrant, private beliefs. To help you understand this, this is what you legitimately want to believe, but you don't yet. This is something that you're like, yes, I want to lock on to that. I, I see that as important, but, but you, have, you don't have any actions that back up. In fact, you actually contradict your belief sometimes. It's something that you're aspiring, optimistically hoping you believe. Uh, okay, this is often the health conversations. <laughs> it's, it's why you could be doing something in your house, maybe the radio or the TV's on, and all of a sudden you hear the words, I lost 72 pounds in two hours, and you pop, you're like, Oh, I want that. Whatever it is. I don't care if it's illegal or not. I want it. I want it. It's the health idea that where you would say, you know what? I want to believe that eating healthy and working out is what's true and good and I should be doing. I, I want to believe that. But your actions, you got nothing to back up that you actually believe that. It's, some of us have the dream that bacon would be appropriate for all meals and snacks and all throughout the whole day and nothing else but bacon and but that doesn't work well long term. <laughs> you see, this private belief 
is something that goes on in your head where you're like, I really want to believe that. I would say it's genuine. It's genuine. It's something you would say, that is true. That is right. I want to believe that because you're not willing to put actions to, to back that up. Now let's go to where you know I'm going. It's called core beliefs. It's what you believe and you can back it up. And say, I'll tell you about core beliefs. You can only have a core belief, listen, if you can back it up with an action. A core belief is something you would say, David, I believe this to be true. And if I pressed back at you and said, show me, you could say, well, then, okay, I do this. For instance, let's say you're a dad. And you're saying, you know what, as a core belief is that a dad should be involved in their kid's life. You believe that with all of your heart. You know, that's healthy, that's good. And I would say, so, so how do you do that? And you, would, you might say, well, I spend this certain time every week with my child because I believe spending time with them face-to-face, having good conversations is necessary. See, it's, it's the actions that start to leak into this. We are pivotal. And so all, all of us have these quadrants in our life. There's things that you say you believe that you don't. There's things that you wish you believed, but you haven't backed it up. But there are the core ones. So let me sum all of this up to help us fully understand. Let's have a skydiving conversation. No, I don't know if you have a bucket list. I don't know if you've ever dreamt up, hoped for to, to go skydiving someday. I don't, I don't relate one bit. I like the ground. I think it's wonderful. Uh, but if, let's say that you and I, let's just, let's just dream, let's, let's get hypothetical for a moment. Let's say you and I decided tomorrow we're going to go to the airport together and we're going to go skydiving. So I know I didn't tell you it was a rational conversation. I'm just saying, let's say that you just what you and I are going to do. Tomorrow comes around, you and I go to the airport. We meet up with the instructor and the other folks that will be skydiving with us. We go through the routine. I mean, you know what the routine, or you expect what the routine is, is that someone is going to instruct you on what to do, the safety, what, what's necessary and what not to do. And then there's going to be a moment that they hand you a parachute, and they even help you get the parachute put on like it's supposed to be put on because you're like, I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, the whole group gathers up. You're about to load onto the plane that's eventually going to go down the runway, take off, and you're going to be up in the sky eventually ready to jump out of a plane with a parachute on. The idea is that you would gracefully go to the ground. <laughs> well, let's say that you and I are at the airport tomorrow. We're all parachuted up, ready to get in the airplane, and the instructor stops us all, stops the whole group before we load on the plane. The instructor asks us a question. And here's the question he poses to you and I. He says, hey, I want everyone to raise their hand if, if you believe that you're, you're going to get on this plane, go up on the plane, that you're going to jump out of the plane, the parachute's going to work, and you're going to land safely and soundly. Well, at first you're thinking, that's a horrible question to ask right now. But let's say there was a real question asking, who believes that this is going to work out the way you want it to? I would say most of us would raise our hands, right? We'd be like, I mean, unless you're stupid, you're going to raise your hand and be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this, I believe this is going to work out great. But you have to believe and connect that you aren't fully certain. In fact, to help illustrate this, (laughs) if you ever spend any time on YouTube, you can have a lot of fun when you search skydiving. There was an elderly woman, a grandma, who decided on her bucket list that she was going to go skydiving. And you may think, well, that's, that's not the greatest time. But she decides she's going to skydive. I mean, she got a bunch of friends and family together. They're going to go skydiving with her. She has the whole conversation, I'm telling you, where, where they get all suited up, parachute, all put on and everything. They get on the airplane. They fly up. But when it comes to be her time to jump out of the plane, 
she has second thoughts. And so I don't want to ruin it. I want you to give all your attention to the screens and, and press in to uh, Grandma going skydiving. Take a look. How are you? What's your name? Laverne. I'm Mike. I'll be doing the video. Uh-huh. Are you excited to go skydiving? I'm, I'm real excited. Whose idea go. was all this? Mine. Hers. Any she occasion? Got she got everyone together. Any, occasion. Any, what's the reason? I just turned eight. Happy birthday. Some of you have skydiving on your bucket list, and you're like, nope, not anymore. You're, you're erasing that. If you missed it, if you're like, I'm not sure what just happened, here's what happened. She would have raised her hand at the beginning, like, yep, I believe this is all going to work, and this is all going to go great. She gets in the airplane and starts to have mm, second thoughts. What happens is, is she won't get out. Eventually, she's pushed out, and what happens is that her harness, her parachute, was not on as tight as it was supposed to be. And yes, she did slip out of it in the air. I mean, I can't imagine the stress. I never would have recovered. If you want to, go, go, yeah, go spend time on YouTube. And, and there's even more. There's new stories done on it because it's, it's like what you and I are doing. Whoa, that's weird. That's so weird. But, but I want to press into this idea. She would have said that she believed. But it's not until your actions that you truly know what you believe. And I think I would tell you that what, what you believe has everything to do, everything. What you believe has everything to do with what you're willing to do. In fact, I'll say it this way. Your core beliefs are revealed by your actions. Now, now if, you're not, if you're not tracking, if you're like, wait a minute, I thought we we're having a purpose conversation, a what we're meant to do conversation. Oh, we are. Because your purpose, what you're meant to do, has everything to do with what you believe, but even goes further. It has everything to do with what you're willing to do. That's why I want to have this conversation before we launch into the whole series. Because I, you and I have got to predetermine that we're willing to do what we're supposed to do. Many of us think that it's, no, David, give me the information. I'll assess the information to tell you whether or not I'm willing to do it. That's not the way God works. Is a tendency to say, will you say yes or no? And you and I will, like, we're detail people. Like, well, tell me what the yes or no for. No, no. Will you say yes or no to me? And I would tell you your core beliefs, what you actually believe about life, not what you want other people to think you believe or what you're optimistically hoping for. Your core beliefs are revealed by your actions. Your actions are so potent and powerful in life. That's why if you were to read through your Bible, you will read all over the place stuff about connecting actions to what you believe. Let me show you one example. James chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters? If you say you have faith, in other words, if you say you believe something, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? 
Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. I'm going to say that again. So you see, faith believing by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. See, this is why we have to talk about this before we get into the nuts and the bolts and the details about what you and I are meant to do. How about, are you willing to do what you're meant to do? The beauty of life is that the predetermined yes or no determines what you get to be involved with. Now, some of you are going legalistic. You're starting to go like, oh, no. Oh, no. See, see this part, faith by itself isn't good enough unless it produces good deeds. So you're starting to just connect this. I don't know what kind of setting you grew up in. Maybe you grew up in a legalistic setting where you have good deeds. So that means just believing is not enough. i got to have good deeds. David, give me the list of good deeds. Like, I need to know what that is. And, and some of you are like, is it Ten Commandments? Do I got to do the Ten Commandments perfectly? Like, is that what it is? Do I, if, I, if I follow those perfectly and connect it with believing, then I go to heaven? And, and we get legalistic about this. In fact, we go crazy with this. Some of us, listen, some of us, the only reason we're doing good deeds is as a hope, a a way to work ourselves into heaven. You believe in God or you say that you do, but you're trying to earn yourself into it. That's dangerous, but it's also important for us to press in this good deeds. If in the original language, what, what was intended, I, I read the whole book for you, James, just for you. Uh, if you go back to the first chapter, he's not getting legalistic about good deeds or, or action. What he's referring to, what is good deeds, what does that mean? Simply this, action is a life of loving God and loving others. If you're like, what do the good deeds look like? How does that play out? Does it say hold doors open for certain people but not others? And, no, action is a life of loving God and loving others. I would tell you this, no matter what you do with your life, no matter what your vocation is, or if you don't have a vocation, if you're a student or not a student, no matter what you do, no matter what your day looks like, the action connected to what you believe ought to be loving God and loving others. If you pick up trash for a living, your driving fuel should be to love God and love others somehow in that. If you're staying at home with the kids and raising the kids, your fuel is to love God and love others. If you teach, if you sit at a desk and call people all day long, you need to know, like, why are you here? What are you doing? What's your purpose? What are you meant to do? It's to love God and love others. No matter what you, in fact, I, I'm, listen, it, whether you're a Christian or not, you were created, you were meant to love God and love others. This was put into place so that you and I would not wander around going, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. No, it's very simple and not legalistic. But the problem is, is many of us start to create this bubble system in our life where life is about us and doing what we want, and hopefully God will connect to it. That's why Rick Warren in his book put together a great statement. I want to read it to you. Life is about letting God use you for his purposes, not your using him for your own purposes. So here's the danger. You and I, we want to know what we're meant to do, what life is about, what's our purpose. The problem is, is when you've spent all of your waking time wondering, what am I supposed to do? What does this mean? What is life about? When you and I spend all of our time, we start to obsess about ourselves. 
We start to focus entirely only on us. What am I supposed to do? Meanwhile, we're missing what God wants us to do. Romans 8, 6 says this well. Obsession with self in these matters, it's a dead end. That's why some of us, you've been asking God for 32 years. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What's my purpose? What am I meant to do? And you're obsessing about yourself. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Let me give you an example. I think this might help. When I graduated high school, yes, I did. When I graduated high school, I went to college. I went to college in a place called Marion, Indiana. Uh, There's about an hour between Marion and Indianapolis. Now, I grew up in in Marion from middle school all the way through to college. And I got to tell you, when I was in seventh grade, I was at a youth camp. Uh, the, The speaker at the youth camp, the guy on stage, said, who in here feels like God has called you into full time, like you're going to spend the rest of your life full time ministry. Well, it was one of those moments like, I think he's staring at me. He wasn't staring at me. My heart started to kind of increase its rate. And I was like, I think he's not, man, I think, I think I'm, I think this, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to do this. I didn't want to, by the way, sorry to offend you. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a pastor, a missionary. I didn't want to go do that, but I was like, but I, I got to go up there. So I went up on stage and Blake, I'll play your game, man. I'll play it. All right. So I went up on stage, but I can tell you at seventh grade, I felt like God was pushing me to be a pastor someday. So I went through the routine. I graduated high school and I knew I had to go to college. So I chose Indiana Wesleyan University. I started in the degree program that would prepare me to be a pastor. So as I started school, I knew why I was there. I wanted to find my purpose, what I was meant to do with life. So I created a bubble. The bubble was this, is I was in Marion, Indiana, and all I did was learn. If you've ever been in a college classroom, most of the times in college classrooms, when you get into your major work, you start to problem solve and think about what should be done, what ought to be done. And you got to know in our classes, oh, we were solving the world problems and doing nothing about it. So let me tell you a little bit about Marion. Marion, Indiana used to be fueled by the auto industry. When I grew up in Marion... Almost everybody had a family member of some sort who helped assemble cars. In fact, there's a plant there. I don't know if they still do it, but they used to assemble Cadillacs. There were also other plants and factories all over the area. Most people had family members and friends that worked in that kind of industry. And you know the history enough that know that those companies started to outsource a lot of that work, and those companies started to not have those jobs anymore. And Marion began to be full of empty houses, foreclosed on, people that had to move away. Those who didn't move away entered a life of poverty they didn't know how to get out of. Crime went up a little bit. And people began to have this feeling, this this vibe that the town was dying. And maybe they were true. All the time, I'm there in college, going to college, learning how to change the world. And I got to tell you, for all five years of college, just want that to sink in. I really wanted to get as much information to share with you as possible. So five years Five years of college, I never did anything about the broken marriages and the poverty, the kids dropping out of school. I didn't do anything in Marion, Indiana about it. I got my degree. You you just need to know that. I got it. And I graduated. I went on to be a youth pastor in Kansas. 
I have family that live in Marion, Indiana, and we would travel back to Marion over holidays. And I remember coming back into Marion, seeing all the brokenness that was going on in the town, restaurants, places that couldn't stay open. They couldn't pay people. People wouldn't come and, and go to the restaurants. It was just a, a dying city. I remember driving through and going, why doesn't someone do something about what's going on here? And then it hit me. David, you didn't. See, many of us can get so obsessed about what's, what's, what we want to do in our lives that we miss what's going on in our lives. Some of you, you wish you didn't live in the Black Hills. Some of you wonder, why did you get stationed here? Some of you wish you could just get out of the house eventually. Some of you, you hate your job and that's all you think about. Some of you, your, your marriage is failing. You just wish there was a way to get out of it. And you look at your circumstances and your situation and you wish God would intervene. You're like, I don't, I don't even want to do this. God, tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. What am I meant to do? And he's like, I got you here. Don't miss that. And here's what I learned. Your actions, not your thoughts, pop the bubble. The protection bubble. The idea that the bubble we created where it's all about risk management. It's all about liability management. So where you make sure that, that nothing bad comes in and that, and that you figure it out and God someday will open up the clouds, come down and be like, here's the script, here's what you're supposed to do, exactly what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it. And we're waiting on that moment when he's like, I got you here. Do something. See, before we get into the details through the series of what you're actually meant to do, you and I got to process this. Are you willing to do what you're meant to do? And if you think it's out of order, I would argue that I think we're right in order. Your yes and no come before the details. So we're inspired by different stories. And I came across a story that I thought was incredibly inspiring. This idea of a man who had been given a diagnosis. I mean, he, his life was going to end, as you and I would call it, prematurely. But he decided to not just go, well, so what, 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 what am I supposed to do? What, what's, what am I going to do? And no, he just pressed in and started doing good. So I want you to cue in on this powerful story, a new story that was done, of a man who just did something very simple, but then it began to do very profound things after the fact. Tune in to a story about the butterfly effect. Take a look. It's always been a mystery to me how someone not long for this world could care so much about it. Even now, his voice almost gone, Chris still has a lot to say about how to make the world a better place. His latest revelation is about the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is this idea that a single butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the globe can, in theory, start a hurricane on the other. It's a physics concept, but Chris wondered if it could be applied to kindness as well. And I know kindness. How long they go? A few months ago, he decided to test the theory at this diner in his hometown of Durham, North Carolina. He saw two girls at the table next to his and gave them each $50 with one very simple instruction. Do something kind. And then we left. That was the end of it? Yeah. And I forgot all about it. Until? We got this email. It included pictures from a village in Africa with people holding signs that read, thanks a lot for spreading kindness, Chris Rosati. It was the butterfly. 
Oh, my. The two girls responsible were 13-year-old Kate Cameron and her 10-year-old sister, Anna. They say they couldn't believe it when a stranger gave them each $50. You didn't want to let them down? No. That makes you want to do something good with that money. Yes. The girls say they already knew about this village in Sierra Leone where their dad had worked in the Peace Corps. They knew the people there had been working hard to fight Ebola. So the girls paid for a feast to help them celebrate being Ebola free. They say it felt great to help. It's inspired me. I would definitely encourage other people to do it. Now that it's proven, what do you do? Oh, man. <laughs> you um, get a whole lot of butterflies. They'll flap their wings. <laughs> to that end, last month, Chris Rosati, who's already done so much for North Carolina, launched his latest campaign. He told these screaming fans his plan to give out hundreds of little butterfly grants, $50 each, to any kid who wants to start changing the world. Get ready for a hurricane. I love those stories. I want you to press that into your life if you're willing to do that. I know that God has incredible things planned in and through your life. But what if before you get into all that, you decided if you're going to say yes or no to whatever it is? What if before you and I walk through, you know, here specifically what the Bible says about what we're supposed to do with our lives. What if we said yes first? What if we just said yes to God? Like, I don't know what you're going to ask, but this is dangerous. What if you and I said yes and God could do more with that yes? If you're willing to imagine some things with me, take this. In the book of John, there's, there's some details about Jesus. And in fact, Jesus says these words. I'm going to paraphrase just so you know. Jesus is talking to me like, hey guys, that makes sense on the paraphrase. Uh, you know, you like what I've been doing. This is Jesus talking, saying, hey, I know you like what I've been doing. You, you like the miracles that I've been doing, feeding people and and healing people, and it's just amazing the supernatural things that have been going on, and I know you'll like what I've been doing. And you can see, kind of see the crowd going, yep, we love it. And then he turns and he says, when I'm gone, you're going to do the same thing. In fact, he even ups it. You're going to do even greater things. Now, for some of us who have been Christians for a while, we're like, I'm not sure I've seen greater things than what Jesus has done. Could it be that churches are full of people who believe, but don't do anything with what they believe? What if, and imagine with me, heaven right now is poised. Angels and all of God's army are ready to intervene in the lives of hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people. But what they want is for you and I to go beyond just being politically correct, just being optimistic about what we want to believe. What if heaven is waiting for a crew of people to say yes, and then heaven moves? I can't prove that to be a fact, 
But I can prove this, is that our actions need to step up. And when I say ours, not just Fountain Springs Church, but the global church. I would say, and I'm sorry if this offends you, if you think God is relying on the government to get better so that the gospel of Jesus can get out to this world, you're going to wait around for a while. I believe with all my heart, Jesus said, I got a plan. Let me gather a bunch of Christians together. We're going to call it the church. And then I'm going to do miracles, greater things than you've ever seen before through the church. What if you and I, all that waits for miracles, all that waits for life change is action. And so as we go into this series through this month, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Here's a good question. Is what you believe disconnected from what you actually do? Is what you believe, what you say you believe, does it resonate at all with how you actually live your life? Let's go more personal. What you believe about God, can you prove it? What you believe about the value of people, can you prove it by your actions? 